I'd like to welcome everyone here to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. It is good to see every one of you. Before I begin, I would like to ask of you to pray for me as I speak. I knew when I began to preach through the apocalypse that there would come a time in which I would be giving you a lot of my opinions, and today is that time. As I go through this fifth vision, there will be a lot of times I will say, this is my opinion of what this means. The visions within the apocalypse can be very complex, but the truth that it teaches can be very simple. And so I may not get into the details as much as some of you may wish I had, because basically I don't have those details. I'm going to give you what I have. But there is a simplicity of the lessons that can be learned from it that cannot be denied. And so we are looking at an apocalypse vision, which means it must be interpreted. And these visions are, they're just astounding. The doctrine has not changed in this particular vision, vision number five. It still holds that God is holy and will deal with a sinful world with true justice. Now this vision involves the pouring out of seven bowls of wrath upon the earth and upon different parts of the earth. And so God is going to be seen that he will oppose the willfully defiant with omnipotent justice. God is going to utterly destroy those who are utterly given over to sin. I would like to very briefly give you those seven visions before we go on so that you can kind of have them rehearsed in your memory. I want you to remember them as a whole and where we are now. There are seven complete visions within the apocalypse. We've already seen in chapters 1 through 3 a vision of the church on the earth where Christ is seen walking among us. He sent seven letters to seven physical churches in what is called Turkey today, Asia Minor. We have seen in our second vision, chapters 4 through 7, a vision of God in heaven where his throne is the center of all things and Christ is recognized as the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world and was worthy to open seven seals. And these seven seals appear to be the authenticated, authorized actions of the one who's actually performing the trumpets and the bowls of judgment and all these things that are happening. The third vision involves the seven trumpets themselves from chapters 8 through 11. They are warnings, but they do include judgments. And as you see, in the very second vision where the seals are opened, we saw then only a fourth of the earth involved. In the seven trumpets, we see a third of the world involved. And as we see today in the fifth, all the world is involved. And so there is an escalation of how these events are being brought to a head, to a great and final um, conclusion. The, chapter, uh, the, the fourth vision, chapters 12 through 14, showed us the various aspects of spiritual warfare and our salvation. It showed us that the dragon has helpers in his work in this world. 
The dragon has the Antichrist, the beast that came up out of the sea. The dragon also has the false prophet, the beast that came up out of the earth. And these helpers helped create a society that is like the beast. They took on the image of the beast. They, they, they love the beast. They want to be like the beast. And it created a society that is called Babylon. Babylon. And all of these people are made up, all of these uh, different things, the anti-Christian government, the anti-Christian ideologies, the society itself, are made up of those who bear the image on their hearts of the beast. That is the fourth vision. Today we're looking at vision number five, where we see seven bowls of judgments. And God is going to pour out these judgments using angels from bowls to be poured out upon the earth. We'll look at that in more detail in a few seconds. The sixth vision, chapters 17 through 19, shows us the victory that Christ will have over all these things. The great seductress, who is the great prostitute, Babylon, will be vanquished and Christ will be married to his bride. And in the last vision, chapters 20 through 22, we'll see the introduction of the new heaven and the new earth. Satan and death are defeated and the new heavens and the new earth are established. And so we can see that there is a cycle going on. Every one of these visions begin at the time of Christ's first advent, where he became flesh and died for our sins, and it ends at his second advent when he comes back. And you'll notice that today, which will be, um, I'll cover this more in my conclusion, but it begins with Christ on the cross dying for sins, and he exclaims, it is finished. But you'll see on the seventh bowl that a voice from the temple cries out, it is done. It's the very same phrase. The voice comes with the very same phrase, and between these two phrases is the work of God upon this world, where he saves his people by his blood, and where he requires those who hate him to drink their own blood. It's a sad warning. And it's something that the world needs to hear desperately. And so beginning with our vision, number five, and, and to recount where we were left off, we already went through chapter 15. The very first verse of chapter 15 is what's called the executive summary of the entire vision. It just says that angels are going to be given bowls of wrath to pour out upon the earth. And then we see a prologue to that in verses one through four. And then the remaining chapter, in chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, we see an introduction to what these plagues are going to be. But in chapter 16, what we're covering today is the actual pouring out of the, of the bowls upon the earth. Now, you may say, well, how can he cover all that? Well, it's because I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. I'm going to try to bring to you some of the lessons that can be brought from it, but I will address them. I want to show you the similarities between the trumpets and the bowls and also the plagues of Egypt upon which they are patterned. In the seven trumpets, we see a trumpet warning about what's going to happen to the earth and to the sea and to the springs and rivers and to the sun and the moon and the stars and the pit of the abyss and the rivers Euphrates and lightning and hail. We see the very same things recurred uh, or recurring again in the seven bowls of wrath, where they're poured out upon the earth and upon the sea 
and upon the rivers and springs, and upon the sun, and then upon the throne of a beast, which corresponds to the pit of the abyss. And then we see the rivers Euphrates again, and then ending again with lightning and hail. These correspond to the same type of plagues that were brought upon Egypt, where men were given boils, where the water was turned to blood, and hail came from heaven, and the land was filled with a thick darkness where the Egyptians could not see their own hand in front of them, but there was light in Goshen. And then we saw the coming of the frogs, and this also happens at the river Euphrates, where frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and of the beast and of the false prophet. It is interesting to note that the word frog is seldom found in Scripture. It may, uh, the Scriptures may refer to these creatures in other ways, but there's only two places where the words are actually used, and that is in the book of the Apocalypse and in Egypt. But these are unclean creatures. And finally, in the plagues of Egypt, it also refers to hail coming from heaven. Hail coming from heaven. So we see that there is a, a cycle going on. But there's also a progression where the cycles are getting more intense and more intense. It begins in this vision where it says the last is about to come. And we want to remember that this doesn't mean that it is the last in the sequence of events. But it is the last of God's wrath being poured out upon the people. And that this is how he finishes. So with this. I want to go into the observations. I'm going to give you a very brief outline so that you can perhaps write it down or just remember the outline of where we're, what we're going to see with the next coming verses. And that is this. There are two things that you should keep in mind as we go through these verses. The character of God's judgment is one of them. You need to remember the character of God's judgment. They're referred to several times in the chapter 15 by the voices of the angels themselves, they calls God as being just and true. Now you may say, well, I'm not too sure what the differences are. Why would God be referred to as being just and true? It has to do with God being perfectly just in all his ways, especially in the ways of his judgment, especially in his anger. But he is true in that everything that he is angry about is true about us. He is true. Everything deserves this justice. And we must approach this in this way, that we know that God is just and true with these judgments. We often think about the angry people that live around us, and that the anger of men is usually dished out when someone loses his temper, when someone is unable to hold their tongue. But God is not controlled by his passions. Now, he's a passionate God. He loves with great depth beyond our comprehension. He hates with great depth beyond our comprehension, but he's not ruled by it. There is never a feather that breaks his back. There is never something that causes the dam to bust out when he's out of control. It always happens exactly the way it's supposed to happen. It comes exactly. And with that, I want you to, re want you to remember that the bowls that are being delivered to these angels are probably, this is my opinion, they're probably similar to the images of the bowls that were used in the tabernacle that were taking the blood of the sacrifice and offering it to God. Now, that sacrifice represented the blood of Christ, a bowl of his own blood, represented 
that he endured the wrath of God for us. It was sufficient. It was full. And it was completely emptied. Now we have a similar bowl coming upon us. And it's not a bowl that's bottomless. There's the right amount. There's not too much in it. And there's not, oh, I didn't give enough. It's the perfect amount. And it's completely tipped over. Everything comes out. The cup is completely emptied upon the world. Just as Christ completely emptied the cup that was given to him on our behalf. He drank it all. And so this is what we must, must keep in mind. The next thing, that was the first one. The next thing is to remember this. Who are the recipients of the judgment? Because these are fearful judgments. Should we fear these things? The judgments come upon three groups. Those who bear the mark of the beast. Now, if you bear the image of Christ, there is no need to fear these things. Now, it's not to say you're not going to suffer. Because uh, God's people must, they, they must understand this, that we are going to suffer for his namesake. But they're not, we are not going to suffer from God's wrath. God's wrath is not going to harm us. If we endure some of the things that this world has, it'll be by the mighty, sovereign hand of God to bring you about, to help you, to make you more like Christ, or maybe even to deliver you into his presence. The second group is the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, a trinity of evil. The bowls are poured out specifically upon these three. And lastly, a bowl, the last one, is poured out upon the human society that holds this image in adoration called Babylon. The bowl is poured out upon Babylon. Babylon, the, the society that is actually produced by this unholy trinity. And so keep those two things in mind. The character of God's judgment, uh, judgment he is just and he is true. And the recipients of these judgments, those who bear the mark, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, and Babylon. And remember, these are individuals. These are not just groups. These are not just governments. These are human beings. Human beings that adore the image of the beast. Let's go to Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. And I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. This is the great uh, commission to these angels. All seven bowls pour out. Now you're going to see in these bowls that the first five are actually almost at the same time. From the time of Christ to the time he comes again. These five bowls are there. But when we get the bowl number six and seven, you'll find out that this concentrates toward the end. Toward the end where the scriptures have already told us that the beast is going to overcome the church and that there's going to be a great battle on which the beast is going to overcome the saints. However, the battle doesn't end in our defeat. The battle ends in Armageddon where Christ is the victor. And then the very last bowl is where he says, the wrath is finished. And so with that, he says, by his command, bring out the seven bowls. 
And I want to reemphasize that these are not unlimited bowls. These are not something that God says, I've had it up to here and I'm just going to pour it out until I'm tired of pouring. No, he is, he's given each angel a bowl that has been given as a specific amount. And what amount is it? The just amount, the right amount. And how much is that? It's eternal damnation. Now that is something that sounds like, oh, he never quit. That is the right amount. We must never judge God in saying, that is too harsh. That is too harsh. No. The angels even stop the pouring so that they may interject to tell John, God is just and he is true in all of these judgments. Let's go to verse number 2. So the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth. And the harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. We can see who this is going out upon. Now, unfortunately, I read the commentaries and I thought what they said was okay. I did not agree with everything they said. And so therefore, it's up to you to be the Berean. It's up to you to think and to listen. And so many of them felt that these harmful and painful things were actual physical things. And I'm not going to disagree with them. All you have to do is look at history and see that there are plagues upon the earth. That there are many times in which the world uh, uh, undergoes great judgments of God. The Black Plague, uh, uh, swarms of armies uh, decimating different countries, people dying in, 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 in hundreds and hundreds and even millions. And that even the, the, the type of plagues we have today like AIDS, these things that, that, that come upon like venereal diseases that follow where you have moral sin producing uh, physical uh, pain and suffering. I can agree with all of that, but I, I have to take it a little bit more than that. Because you see, this is a judgment poured, upon, poured out upon those who have the image of the beast. And we are here too. And many times, the real judgment, the real pain and suffering, comes in a place that cannot be seen, that cannot be physically touched. Because I believe that there is a, and this is my opinion, there is a harmful and a painful boil and sore upon a diseased soul. People have their souls that, that are, uh, they're in awful torment. Even now, we may say, well, the world just seems to be having a good time. No one's in pain. I would suggest this. Even those with the most money, even those with the least amount of stress, even those that think they have, you know, the whole ball of wax, they every night go to bed and turn off the light and they shut their eyes and before they go to sleep, they know one thing. It's not going to last. There is a time in which this flesh shall fall and they're going to meet their, their darkness. They're going to meet what they do not want to know. The world has a way of wanting God not to be true of wanting God not to be real, of wanting justice not to face them. And so their hope is that God is not there. 
But there's always the conscience, always that pain. And then there are many of those who suffer that all the time. But the characteristics of those who have the image of the beast is this. They will refuse to repent. They would rather embrace death than embrace life. Because life involves a gift that comes from the shedding of the blood and the giving of his life, which is the same, of Jesus Christ. And instead, they would embrace the drinking of their own blood because they will live their life the way they want to. They would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. They would rather live their lives in rebellion to God. And it's reflected by these plagues. Let's read verse number three. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. I don't know why, why, what I was expecting when I was reading the commentaries, but once again, they went into the direction that said this. Well, many people have died in the sea. Many wars have been, bought on, you know, been, been fought in ships, and many men have gone down into the depths of the sea. And there's a lot of people, and everyone that works and makes their their jobs and fought wars in the seas, they're all going to die at a, at, at a certain time. And, and I, I cannot uh, disagree with that. But from another sense, and this is my opinion, the sea is where a beast rises up, an anti-Christian kingdom and governments that rule over men. And it says that the seas became like the blood. Now, it's not just any blood the blood of a corpse, the blood of a dead man. See the contrast here? God's people are saved by the blood of a man who is alive, by the blood of a man who rose from the dead, who actually died, went to us, took captivity captive, and he now lives. And it is by his life that he gave and the blood he shed. And we live in the sea of the blood of Christ, shouting his praises because he is alive. But the world lives in a sea of blood of a dead man. They're born dead. They love death. They enhance their lives by embracing death. That's my opinion. That's what I see. We had a the men's meeting just yesterday talking about the blood of Christ. And what a blessed time that was, speaking of the blood of Christ, because... Life is in the blood. You shed a man's blood, you take his life. And that's what the Lord gave to us, his life. We live by knowing that he shed his blood for us. All of these that are in the sea are dead in their sins. And they want it that way. Verse number four. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. It is something else that recalls, it reminds me of, now of course, the, uh, you know, the commentaries. I don't know why I want to dis disagree with them all, but I do agree with what they say. I just want to take it another step further, and so it's my opinion that when I read this, there's a difference between the sea and fresh water. You can't go out to the ocean, you can't go out to the river here and drink this brackish water. You just can't do that. The only type of water that's good for you is fresh water. When the Lord went to that woman at the well, 
They were drawing water deep from a well. And he said, you know, if you ask of me, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. But the world has its water sources. They have their universities. They have their schools. They have their governments. They have the sources that nourish their souls. But they're going to become blood. The blood of a dead man. And they're going to be nourishing themselves with death. We are nourished by the, by the fresh water of the gospel. And they are nourished by waters that have been turned to blood. That's the curse. That's the wrath that's being poured out upon this world. Where they have their wells of wisdom. But they've replaced the wisdom of God with worldly wisdom. And they depend and love their own wisdom. And rather choose the wisdom of this world than to submit to the wisdom of God. And they would rather drown in the blood of a corpse than to even touch the blood of Christ. It is a sad thing that the world has made themselves a noble being, the noble human spirit. And it is a, a great thing. God has made man in his image. But we have sought out witty inventions, have we not? Man is a marvelous creation. We can reason. We can make things that are actually beautiful. But man has a way of taking anything and twisting it and taking something that's beautiful and make it even worse. We turn beauty into pornography. We turn advancement of technology into weapons. Everything about man has a way of taking wisdom that should be used for God's glory. And all we do is become dealers of death. Verses 5 through 7. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you have brought to these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now here we have an interruption of the pouring out, so that an angel who is described as the one who is in charge of the waters. And I'm going to assume that the waters means the ones that are the fresh ones. Perhaps the same angel that had the bull that poured out the wrath upon the fresh waters, the spring waters. And I would say, why this angel? I would say that this angel probably has a credible source of information that he wants you, to listener, the listener, to know about. He was the one that would say, yes, I know about man and the way he takes his wellsprings of wisdom and has corrupted them. And I want to remind you that God is just and he is true in all these things. And though their springs are turned to blood, it is what they deserve. They have drunk the blood of the saints and you have given them their own blood to drink. And it is a just and true thing. It is justice. But it is wrath. It's even called the wrath of his fury. Do not think that just because I say it is justice, it's not so bad. No. I'm saying it's justice to help you understand that what is really, truly so bad is truly deserved. We should not apologize for the Holy God. We should praise his name. 
he's coming in justice. He served that justice to our Savior, and our Lord drank every drop of it. And now he serves it to an unbelieving world, and they will drink every drop of it. Let's go on to verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And once again, the commentaries, they talked about solar flares, and they talked about how the heat will come and perhaps scorch people, and it's a thing that may happen. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I suppose solar flares can do that, and it may happen. But when I read about the sun in the scriptures, I remember about Joseph having a dream where his father and his mother bowed down. But the apocalyptic dream that he had was that the sun and the moon bowed down before him, and even the stars, his brothers. And Pharaoh, who is supposed to be the incarnate Ra God. You know who Ra is? The, the God of the sun. And so Pharaoh is the one who, who died in the waters of the Red Sea. And his land was turned to, bitch, you know, to, to pitch darkness and blackness. And yet he was a leader that was illustrated as being the sun. I have no doubt that in this world that the beast, the governments, the kingdoms will be running roughshod over the world. They don't treat their citizens well. They don't treat the more, those who live honoring the beast and having the image of the beast in their own hearts. They don't treat them well. They have their Hitlers. They have their Mussolinis. They have all of these people that are given permission by the one who breaks the seals to actually scorch the men that they're supposed to be giving light to. They can abuse men. These are my opinions. But I want you to weigh them and consider them. Verse number nine. They were scorched by fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. What we have here as another interruption of these bowls to remind us that these people who are receiving the judgments of God, all they can do is suffer with the boils, suffer with the blood they must drink, suffer with all the scorching of their governments and everything else. And what do they do? They absolutely will not repent. As a matter of fact, they have their hearts and minds turned to the one that they know secretly within them that there is one who has the authority and he is the one doing it and all they can do is bring curses to their lips. Cursing God. Will not give God his glory. Verse number 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness and people gnawed their tongues in anguish. Here we have, I would say, the last of the plagues that I would say we are actually seeing in our lifetime. The next two, perhaps, are coming very, very quickly. But what I see here is darkness. Darkness that is produced by governments, by Babylon, by the sources of worldly wisdom, and what they feel is living high and mighty and living in the light of worldly wisdom 
has plunged them into spiritual darkness, a spiritual darkness that they cannot even see their hands before themselves. <clears throat> and the very tongues that they use to express their hearts, the tongues that they use to express their hearts are gnawed. They grind and bite their own tongues because their tongues reflect what's in them. Whatever, they, whatever comes out of the man's heart, whatever comes out of his mouth, reveals what is in his heart. And it is pain and anguish. How many people in this world have considered this life isn't even worth living? I wish I, didn't, I, wish I was never born. And it's the plagues of God that brings those thoughts into their hearts and minds. And why? Why would God do that? Why would God bring that type of justice into their lives to give them such pain? It is to turn their hearts and minds to God. Mm -hmm. Those who have the image of the beast, who loves this world so much, who will never give up the God of this world, will never have eyes to see Christ. Never have the light. They'll be plunged into darkness and they will throughout their lives show that their tongues can speak only of the things of their lives of their hearts that are based in selfishness and pride and sin they're living for themselves they're making a life of death choking on their own blood verses 12 through 15 and the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great rivers Euphrates, and his waters was dried up to prepare the way of the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, forming, performing signs, and go abroad in the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle, the great day of God the Almighty. And this is where Christ interjects his words. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and to be seen exposed. And they assembled themselves in the place in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now this, I believe, is something that has not happened yet, but I believe that everything that is going to make this happen is already prepared. It is prepared by the five bowls that have already been poured out. And this is the great battle at the end. This is the battle in which Satan is loose for that little season in which he is out and he is actually going to overcome all of God's people. And you may say, oh, how do I get all of that? Well, the commentaries do give me some information on this. We, I, I am in agreement with them on this. I was, I was so refreshed. And so the idea that the, uh, that the Euphrates can be seen in the Old Testament Whenever Euphrates is mentioned in the Old Testament, it usually has to do with kings coming across it in order to bring judgment upon God's people. In other words, that's the boundary between God's people and the world. And one day, God is going to allow that boundary to be traversed by the world. And God's people will be attacked by the world. And they will be successful. They will kill the two witnesses. Their bodies will lie in the streets. And everyone will rejoice over it. However, the idea of Armageddon being the place and that they're crossing the Euphrates, which is the boundary between the world and God's church, it, it reminds me of this. How many battles have you read about 
in Armageddon in the scriptures. Some people say, well, a lot of them. Well, there may have been a lot, but there are only two recorded. There are only two that are recorded. There is a battle by Gideon. Remember? We studied that a little bit. Gideon. In that same area of Megiddo. But Armageddon means the plains of the field. But it can also mean the mountain by Megiddo. But there is no mountain there. But I'll put it this way. This one place where two battles are recorded. The other battle is between Barak and Deborah over the Canaanites. Both of these battles have something very, very similar. The similarity is this. Nobody can argue that God received the glory in the battle. Both of them were where, where, where God's people were completely outnumbered. There was no possible way that humans could overcome this force. God intervened himself. God intervened himself. When it comes to Deborah and Barak, the rain washed away 900 iron chariots. When it came to Gideon, his men just broke the vessels and light came out and their shouting caused the enemy to kill themselves. God brought about this victory. And no one could say, oh, we did that on our own. No, you can't. No, you can't. And in this vision, it says, that's the kind of battle that's going to take place. That God is going to receive all the glory. All the glory. They're, going to, they're coming across that boundary, and they're going to fight God's church, and they're after us. I mean, you know, they say, well, he sounds like he's paranoid. Well, I might be paranoid, but it doesn't mean they're not after us. Okay? They are after God's church. Let's go on to verses number seven, 17. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out from the temple. And you know that this voice is God from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there was never since the earth was since there was an earth, and so great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain of the cup of the wine of his fury, of his wrath. Every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. And great hailstones of a hundred pounds each fell, upon, uh, fell from heaven upon people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. I want you to see that this is a statement that God's wrath is done. It was the very same type of statement that Christ announced on the cross when he drank the wrath of God. It was finished and God's people were saved from God's wrath. And here we have God pouring out his wrath. And this is the end right here. This is the time when God comes back. When Christ says, I am here as a thief in the night. And it doesn't mean that he's come to steal. It means that he's coming at a time when the world does not expect it. That's when he is coming. And what we see here is very obviously is that it says the mountains fled away. There's no more islands. People have a way of saying, well, what are the mountains? What is that? Just like a mountain? It just kind of went flat? Is that the type of uh, geographical or, you know, uh, uh, you know turmoil we're going to have? I would say this. Mountains are like the political powers of the earth. Men believe and they have confidence that they can keep themselves safe by their governments. But you know what? <clears throat> no one 
can hide from God on this day. No government is going to protect them. No power on earth is going to protect them. They cannot find an island and say, I am safe here. There is no power on this earth that can protect the ungodly from the wrath of God. All these institutions, all these sources of worldly wisdom, all their universities, all their schools, everything that they depend upon, everything that keeps them able to sleep at night, are wiped away, gone, no more support. The truth comes out that they are bare before God, standing at the judgment seat of God, and they receive the, the, the judgment from heaven itself, hailstones of a hundred pound coming down. And let me tell you something. Have you ever seen a professional prize fight on TV or something where they're fighting and a, and a really good boxer, he goes and he lands up, he, he, he takes a punch and the other guy may block it or he may dodge it. Let me tell you something about fighting God. Every punch that God throws is going to hit you dead on. You cannot block it. You cannot dodge it. Everything that he gives you, you're done. There is no skill that you can depend upon. There is no government you can depend upon. You are there receiving the full fury of his wrath. I want you to, I want to read one thing before I get out of the scriptures here and go into my one final very brief application, and that is this. I want you to consider the wisdom of repentance. The wisdom of being able to see the wrath of God and then repenting. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals who were hanged railed on him saying, are you, not, are you not the Christ? If you are, are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him and said, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Now listen. We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, truly I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. If you want to repent, you must say this. We are receiving what's just. We are receiving what's just. But he has done nothing wrong. And if he drinks your wrath, if he drinks the cup of wrath, for you, you will be in paradise. Mm -hmm. The wisdom of repentance. Mm -hmm. I want you to consider this. The application that I have is this. There's a voice coming out. He is saying, it is done. That is what I want you to take home with this tonight, or this morning. I want you to understand that when God says it is done, justice is satisfied. And how will that justice be satisfied? Will it be satisfied with your blood or with his blood? How will justice be satisfied? You make that decision. You come to yourself. Come to your senses. Come to realize that there is a Christ who loved you so much. He gave his blood, his life. He came and rescued you. God is holy and will deal with a sinful world with true justice. God will oppose the willfully defiant with omnipotent justice. And God will utterly destroy those who are given over to sin. But God will save you to the uttermost should you repent. 
Do not be like the world that says right here, and they would not repent. If you're just listening to this message over the internet, you need to understand. If you will not repent, you will drink the cup of God's wrath, the same one that he gave to his son. And if you are here under the sound of my voice, you must repent and run to Christ. He is your refuge. He is your salvation. He is your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your great kindness, your long-suffering, how you have endured this world. And we pray, Lord, that you will give your people grace. But we also pray that you would open the eyes of people, grant them to see, remove that great darkness, allow them to feel the pain of the sores of a diseased spirit, of a diseased heart. And we pray, Lord, that that would drive them to you that they would seek healing, to have their hearts restored, that they would be given life because someone gave their life for them. Bring them, Father, into the kingdom of light. We pray that sinners be saved for your glory. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. At this time, Art will come forward. <laughs>